And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, here's the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. There are two kinds of people. Those who have a favorite band and those who don't. I do. And that band is the Hold Steady. If you know them, you know why I love them. If you don't, stop listening to me and fire up their song, Sequestered in Memphis. Then come back. Did you do it? I mean, you really should do it. I swear, it's a great, great track. It might be the best track of the 2000s. I wrote that on Grantland. Uh, I wrote that I thought it was the best of the 2000s, and a bunch of you agreed with me. Craig Finn and Tad Kubler, the lead singer and lead guitarist of the band, are on their way here. Like Keith and Mick, Eddie and David Lee Roth, Peter Buck and Michael Stipe, these guys need each other to do what they do, and I'm not sure they like that fact at all. A few years back, David Levine and I used a Hold Steady song, Lord, I'm Discouraged, in a crucial moment in one of our movies, Solitary Man. And the combination of Craig's words and Tad's soaring, searing guitar solo really make the scene work. From the first moment I heard the Hold Steady, I wanted to talk to him, to ask him about how they do what they do and why. In a few minutes, I'm going to get the chance. Hang in and check it out. All right, Craig, Tad, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So I just want to start, uh, Craig, because Tad knows some of this. Um, I just want to list my favorite, favorite musical artists of all time, because I think you'll understand then why the Hold Steady matter to me so much. So it's you know I'd say Dylan, R.E.M., Bruce, Replacements, Lou Reed, The Velvets, Van Halen with Roth, Cheap Trick, Guns N' Roses, Randy Newman, Pixies, and Clash. Which, it basically sets me up to be the biggest hold steady. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I think you, you, that's pretty much the, you know, I would say, does Warren Zevon get in there ever? Oh, uh, love him. Okay, good. Thanks. Love Zevon. Who else am I missing, you think, from, like, the, the combined roster? I mean, I guess, to me, Husker Du is, is way up there, too. Are you more of a Bob or a Grant guy? Um, I, you know what, as far as their catalog goes, the Husker Du, I was pretty split down the middle. Um... Bob was obviously, you know, um, had kind of the more robust solo thing, um, and I know I know Bob a little bit, so. Um, but I, you know, as far as going back to Who's Here Do, I, I like both their songs. Yeah, and Tad, uh, what do you think I'm missing? Oh, I mean, th- that list's pretty. You know, like, did you list the Who? You know, I know you guys love the Who, and I've obviously know, and I love Zeppelin too. Yeah. Um, I guess those things predate in a way. Those bands, their best days were gone before I was. You were able to. Yeah. Their hair. I mean, no, I love. I mean, I love Zeppelin, and I certainly own every album the Who ever made, and probably all of Pete's solo albums too, mm-hmm. and maybe even Entwistle's. <laughs> I don't. I'm not familiar. <laughs> you made one. I think you made. Okay. Didn't he make a solo album? Mm-hmm. I think he did. Um, so, uh, the show is called the Moment, and the idea behind it is to find a moment in somebody's life in their professional life or in their life where they're at a real inflection point where things can kind of go one way or the another where everything's kind of on the mm-hmm. table and so i've been thinking about um where i wanted to start it and i i was kind of prepped to and we will but then craig i should just warn you that tad sent me an email today and in the email he said uh I feel like you know enough behind-the-scenes stuff and have a good understanding of how our band works to really take this somewhere. It's going to be good and maybe a little scary, but that's good, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so I am. I, I do want to get into all... Uh, uh, I want to get into that stuff uh, because you've written about it, mm-hmm. and I don't think you guys have talked about it together much, and I think it can be a, a really good thing and maybe a healing thing. So, but... It's going to be like a Metallica movie, is it? Well, we don't have the time, and I'm not, tra- I'm not a professional. Um... Uh, but, uh, all right. So, for, uh, to get to the hold steady, um, when when you two guys first met and decided to play together in, in Lifter Polar, when you decided to join that band, like, I want to y- ask each of you this question. So, like, what is it that you recognized in the other guy that made you want 
to be in a band with well, him? Well, for me, it was Ted. Ted had like was a really good player. I'd seen him play in his band Tenfold Hate, and um, I knew he could do it. But he also was rock and roll. And you know, I mean, I was coming in. You know, I've always come in with on the nerd side of things. I'm into reading books, and I was, I didn't bring that sort of. You know, there was a lot of drinking and a lot of rock and roll uh, atmosphere that came in. That was a real positive. I mean, I, we were coming in. Uh, we had a band, those guys, the other guys, the other guys were kind of more rock and roll than me too, but I always kind of wanted to surround myself with people that I felt like were genuinely more rock or more, uh, I guess, dangerous than, than I felt myself was. Do you mean like as a player he was like that or as a human he was both, like that? Both, both, you know? I mean like, you know, Tad could drink more than I could. Tad would be more likely to... You know, disappear at the end of the evening. Yeah, disappear and... at the end of the evening, get in a situation, um, than I would be, you know? Um, and that was attractive, because, of course, you want to be in a rock and roll band that does rock and roll things, even if you are personally uh, likely to be that person, like likely to do that. Even if you're, you're saying, un- unlikely to do it. or Yeah, if you're to. unlikely to do it yourself, you want at least someone in your band doing it, right? Right, and I mean, your lyrics all speak to kind of a fascination with or many of them with people who yeah. live that way. Well, and there's an instigation part of my personality where I, you know, and when I went back and read Kerouac, I remember like thinking like when I read him not as a teenager, as an adult being like, Jesus, he's just in the back seat writing things down. He's not doing anything. Um, and that was like, I, that I relate to that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's always, and and it really, it, it has, you know, that kind of stuff has not only been in my bands, but also in my life and other places, you know, like uh, um, Mac's wife, uh, who I'm divorced, had bad depression and alcohol problems and continues to struggle with them. So it's always been around. Right. And, and, and you somehow recognized something uh, in him that was more productive than what you recognized. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, Tad, what about you? Like, what was it that you, coming from the, your musical, like, what was it that you recognized in, in Craig that made you want to do this? Well, I really, like, kind of grew to like Lifter Polar through playing shows with those guys. The first couple times I heard them, it, it was so not what I was into at that point. Like, you know, I was into, like, Helmet and June of 44 and all these slint and all these very, like, technical kind of uh, bands that were... Um, Weird, almost, time, weird time signatures. Yeah, events. like strange time signatures, and they were, you know, focusing like almost on all prog rock. Kind of, yeah. It was there was something very proggy about it, and and Lifter Polar was more, you know, like pavement in a lot of ways, where it was just there was it was about a whatever sounds good is good. So when when Craig and I also liked everybody, I'd gotten gotten to know everybody in Lifter Polar, Dan and and Steve and Craig and even Tommy the bass player before myself I'd gotten to know those guys really well and always had fun around them and was was interested in getting to know them better and when I initially started playing with them well, and it was bass too which wasn't my instrument right um, and I, that was exciting and when I joined initially it was a it was supposed to be a temporary thing like you know hey would you mind maybe doing this until we can find somebody who wants to do this sort of permanently and it wasn't more than 24 hours when I realized that like this was going to be cool you know and this was going to be fun and Dave Gardner kind of our mutual friend who had been doing he recorded an EP and he had played it for me and that's the first time I had really had a chance to listen to what Craig was doing and the, you know, like hearing the lyrics, and you're not in a rock club, and you're sitting down and listening to it. And then I went back, and got that was Entertainment and Arts, and got Hafted and Dynamite in the first record, and it was just kind of like, holy sh! There's really something happening here. I mean, that's when you recognized, wait, this guy's writing words and doing something that's different than people I've played with before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And did that matter to you before that? Um, I mean, your other bands were you like. I was the singer in the other bands that I was in, so and words were something that I never put. It was more about maybe like the melody or something like that. I've always had a hard time writing words because it's it's a very very hard thing to do. It's one of those things you struggle with. How do I not try? You know, I don't want to sound like I'm just trying to be clever, and I don't want to sound like every thought that I have 
I need to share with everybody. So it's a very tricky thing. And when when did you guys first write a song together? That's a good question. I might have been. Um, it was probably after you joined, and then we were writing for. Did you? Yes, I guess we start writing for. I mean, when we wrote for the Lifter Puller, it was kind of going in and just saying like. I'm going to play this and someone else play something. Mm. So it was really a four, four-headed four beast there. Um, so you didn't get the set at that moment when you guys, you didn't know it was a different thing when than you'd each had before in that moment. No, I mean, Ted brought um, sort of a, uh, a different style of bass playing, I think louder and mm. uh, more distorted um, to, you know, he's more almost like more of a guitar player, uh, bass player playing to, bass, the, he, to yeah, the lifter right. polar thing uh, where Tommy was, Maybe more of a I don't know uh, I guess it um, it's just slightly different sensibilities but the way those songs were constructed were it was very much kind of jamming on everyone at once you know it wasn't so much like here's the song and and when when Lifter Puller ended did you guys and I know you would work together again or not? No, I thought I was done with music. I mean, I just sort of thought it was time to like go get a job and buy a house did or you, something. Did you figure you'd write some other kind of? Yeah, stuff? I mean, I wanted to do something, but like, it's just you know when you're in like lift or pull or, or band like that, it's, we didn't have a booking agent. Um, I always felt like you learned a lot about automotive stuff because your van was always breaking down. It seemed like there was so much of it that wasn't playing music. Um, that was that was fatiguing. Being in a small indie, yeah. regionally successful small indie band. That was fatiguing. You know, like I booked all the shows. Right. Um, uh, we never got a record was never put out by the same label. Like like each record came out on a different label. Um, and it's just that little stuff that's like kind of just uh, fatiguing, I guess. You know. So I thought I was ready at least for um, at least a break, but probably that was it. And what about you? Uh, I kind of thought that, that was probably it, too. You know, I remember... Really? Yeah, well, you know, Craig moved to New York, and then I moved to L.A. and sold, you know, the bass stuff that I had had bought, you know, during the course of that. Um, I did trade the bass for some guitar stuff. Right, which you indicates know, maybe you weren't really done. Yeah, but it was more of a, like, well, you know what, I'll, I'm... The guy at Black Market Music gave me a better trade than he would have bought it, and I was like, "Well, that's kind of cool." And and so I kept that because I, you know, I like always thought of myself as a guitar player, but I wasn't actively trying to do something. I was like, "All right, well, this is I'm going to shift my focus to photography now," um, and possibly through that something might come up. You know, like scoring was something that I always wanted to get into. I just wasn't sure how. And I thought if I started to go with photography, maybe that would lead to film, and that would lead to some kind and, of in. And did you guys stay in touch right yeah. now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not, I mean, not a ton right away, but then when I started coming to New York more, after I had gone back to Minneapolis, I lived in Minneapolis for about six months, and I, I played actually then guitar in this other band, uh, songs there through for a little while. We went to Europe, and he knew, you know, the guy, Travis, the guy in the band. And I was coming out to New York a lot because Sasha, you know, Murphy's mom, my girlfriend, lived in New York, so I would Murphy's see him. Murphy's your daughter. Mm -hmm. Mur yeah. yeah, sorry. And and so you were coming back uh, to New York, and then would you guys get? You'd come to New York. You would get together, Craig. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to remember that it was so long ago, but yeah, <clears throat> I remember. Yeah, just like. But I, and that, the living, like it was almost like it, you moved there, kind of, and moved here. I, I felt like it was like it just sort of happened. Like, yeah. like, like it was like you kind of stayed, right? Mm -hmm. Like you were visiting and you just stayed, yeah. right? And then I went back and got some stuff. Yeah, like you know, I realized three I'm months, coming here. Yeah, three months later, and went back and got all the stuff out of my house with the intention of starting a band. Well, Not so much. But I think um, we were starting to play. Yeah. We started to, like, you know, well, I mean, there was a there was this other thing happening with, a, like, we were met up with these guys that had this comedy troupe. At the, um, it was through UCB, um, but it was they were doing it at Arlene Grocery. Right, I read about that the other day. Yeah. Where it's, like, really the 11th anniversary, not the 10th, yeah. because you played this one 
Well, we played bumper music, basically. They do a right. skit, and then we do, like, Back in Black, you know, but no singing, just like, you know, just like kind of... That was your version uh, of the Beatles in Germany. Yeah, <laughs> and they changed the sets or whatever. And uh, and then I think during the show, we backed them up on, on um, one song, like uh, one guy did... Uh, an they, ACDC they, song. Yeah, they did uh, David Bowie, David an ACDC Bowie, song, yeah. Cheap Trick song, classic rock. Yeah. Um. So it was kind of right up our alley. Um. But right away it was kind of like, well, this is funny, and they were funny. Um. Uh. But it, right away it was kind of like, well, this is, I don't know, this is a lot of work moving gear around to play someone else's songs. You know, like let's let's have our own songs. I think that first show we did, we played Knuckles. We had one song. I think we played right. Knuckles for mm-hmm. for. Um, the audience at the end of the night, just one song. And could you? So, when, I want to get to how you started writing, really writing the songs together. But you know, when I think about what you're, when I rattled off that list of, um, you know, my favorite bands, I can kind of pick off like which ones matter to which one of you <laughs> in a way. And I'm not sure that there are that many. Maybe the replacements to both of you. Like I don't, know, Ted. Did the replacements matter to you? I mean, not really. They were more. They they didn't seep down to Wisconsin as much. I'm sure they did, but I wasn't aware of them, so I didn't really find them until I moved to Minneapolis. And did like Cheap Trick or Van Cheap, Halen mean anything to you? They both did. Um, but you know, uh, I would say like you know Cheap Trick I loved, but you know, being a primarily a lyric guy, that's kind of like I mean, you know that it, it's not Bob Dylan, you know, but it's great melodies. But you know, so that that would be and Van Halen, I did love because I love David Lee Roth. Me too. Like, talking. Me you know? too. Yeah, he. I remember being in seventh grade and he went on like Jim Ladd had that nighttime show where he would interview people, and he said, "Can you give me your life philosophy to Roth?" And Roth said. I want my cake. I want to eat it too. I want pink icing. I want it pre-sliced, delivered, and paid for. (laughs) I was in seventh grade, and I thought that was the single best thing I'd ever heard in my life. I read his book, you know, Crazy from the Heat, and I think like the part where he said, whenever magazines come out, whatever they come out Tuesday or Wednesday, he goes down to the newsstand and shoplifts um, Playboy and Mad Magazine, and he's like, the two. I just combine the two, and that's my whole thing. That's awesome. And then you know, the the critics all hate hate me. And love Elvis Costello because they all look they like, look like Elvis, Elvis Costello. Costello. Um, but so okay, so you loved that. You got off on on that. You guys had that in common. Did you play music for each other? Like a lot of time, guys in bands and kids will like go, "Hey, this I'm into this." Did you guys go through a period of that, or you were? both past it. Yeah, that. a little bit. I mean, I feel like in Lift Your Pull in the Van, you're kind of always like, you know, whoever's driving gets to choose yeah, tunes, kind of. Play stuff, new stuff. And yeah. And then we went through that kind of when I when I started to come to New York, we would I would go over to Craig's house and we would watch like a baseball game or something, which would then sort of transition into the evening of playing he he'd just gotten a record player. Yeah. You know, so like right. we we would, he had a bunch of records that he could finally play again and we would play the records and that's when we also kind of that's when the last waltz came into that whole thing too yeah, we start watching that and it, they re-released that and it was like oh you got to see this we watched that and there was a little bit of that but it wasn't like i got to play you this or i got to play you this it was more like god isn't this great you know right but, sure yeah. uh, sharing like the things you were in, insanely enthusiastic about mm-hmm. but what happened when you guys watched the last waltz it was I, mean, I would i'd just seen it when it reissued in the theater and my ex-wife took me and said you're gonna really love it i always thought i wouldn't love it i didn't think it was punk rock and i thought it's sort of like some I don't know I was suspicious of it for no good reason and I remember like getting in the theater and seeing them play and seeing how cool they looked and like almost like uh, being like I can't believe this I can't believe this is I've waited this long you know of my rock of being a huge rock and roll fan that I've never seen this and that's such a treat in the theater the coke on Scorsese's nose is really (laughs) big isn't it yeah and so had you seen it or did he show it to you he, I hadn't, I saw a little bit of it, like, you know, a long time ago with some of the, like, older kids in the, the hood, like, where I grew up in that were always giving me records and stuff like that, but I hadn't seen it until he was like, have you seen this? And I was like, no, I would love to. You know, and, like, that's something. I, and then, that you know, stoked the fire to yeah. really go and say, like, let's do this kind thing? of. It's, I mean, it looks like they're having so much fun. It was like, well, that looks fun. Yeah. That's the thing that I think we focused on the most, too, was like, God, look, they're having a blast, you know? The other thing that doesn't get sort of, like, when I look back on all that time and the end of Lifter Puller to the start of the Hold Steady is there were this band in Minneapolis called Dillinger Four that were friends of ours, and they 
were this um, I mean they still are they play they have they released this record called Midwestern Songs of America and they were very much part of our world and part of our scene and it it's sort of like more so than us they they kind of broke through to some you know at least in the sort of the punk world they became you know they could go on tour and and they really had come up with an incredible album and the songs were great and it just felt like something was happening and they're Shows were so chaotic and so careless, meaning they didn't care if they finished the song, and somehow they got the audience to like believe that that's cool, almost like the replacement. Well, I was gonna did. say Minneapolis has yeah. a legacy yeah. uh, of of bands wanting yeah. to do that. Cause yeah, so that's... it was kind of if you build it, they will come. I mean, you know, like and that you inspired you. Well, you didn't know if D4 was gonna finish their set, but they would. But you wanted to be there to see if they did what or not. Like, yeah. they, you had to be there. And um, I thought some of that sort of fun and chaoticness, uh, I wanted, I thought that that was maybe sort of a myth. You know, like, in Lifter Puller, we practice a lot. We were really pretty serious about doing the good good set. And I thought, like, maybe it would be better just to have the band that... that that doesn't finish the set, or or it might not, you know. So you had the you had kind of like these conscious thoughts about uh, this thing you wanted to create. Yeah, when yeah. you started to think about the whole stuff, I did. And would you guys sit up and talk about it? Would you share it? Yeah, I mean, it Dad? was kind of well, like a little bit, but I feel like at that I remember so little of what was going on nice. at that point that it was kind of you know full steam ahead. But but we you know Craig did have like very. There were things we would talk about, and then I think I feel like in looking back on this too, there were things that I almost did, like kind of subconsciously. It was like once again the instigator. Like I started to go buy all these airline bottles of vodka, and I would set them up on top of my amp, and I would kind of burn through them during yeah. the set. Yeah, you know, and that's so, like just living the spirit of the whole thing, yeah. whether it was conscious or not. But Craig, I'm, I'm sure you, because when you. Like I wrote down these two questions to ask at the beginning of this, and then which were. You know, to, to you, like, what were your goals? Because I've almost never in my life heard a mission statement as an opening song of a band's career as clear and potent, as powerful, as Positive Jam, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you lay it out in the way, you know, that Thoreau lays it out. I mean, in the way that you rarely ever hear anyone say, this is what we, me, my band, and my audience are going to be about together. Right, yeah. I you know the other I was really into the idea that like you could do a rock band you know we I went and saw the drive by truckers at the Bowery Ballroom and I, I yeah. thought well this is you know I don't know if next year next year two years from now this is not going to be any more or less hip than it is now it just is a, you know it's rock and it, it's tapping into a lot of classic things with a small C classic and I thought like this there's a huge power in that to not be you know and at the time. I just moved to New York the first two years were the Strokes and the, you know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It was and like, hip and cool. It was hip, cool, sexy, skinny. And, you know, to see, you know, like with the truckers, some older guys, um, and they're sharing a battle with Jack Daniels, um, and they're kind of faking their way through a cover that they sort of knew during the encore. I was like, no, that's more exciting to me. The, the truckers, I mean, I love the truckers. I have all their albums, um, though I think the best trucker album ever made is jason isbell's solo album but uh southeastern that's a masterpiece that's I a think. classic record it is right with a capital c yes that is that is was a really impressive like uh you know there, there's moments on that which is are just um, unbelievable yeah i, I can't, mean the, the one about cancer that one elephant, elephant is just insane yeah, you can't even understand how someone could write a song. I mean, you can. I can't understand how someone can write a song about a, 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 a thing that, you know, a 299 out of 300 songs about that would be treated. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, this song. Like, I, you know. It, it, it's a stunning, it, a, a staggering thing. But what I was going to say about the Truckers, even before Jason was in the band, which obviously was when you guys saw them, is they, those first couple of Trucker albums were, it, they did, did this thing, and... I could see why people would think you do something similar. I don't really think you do. Their thing was like um, to write with literary panache about people that they thought were at the low end of culture, or more than that, people that others thought were at right. the low. They would ennobleize sort of this this the class of people who others would maybe overlook, and then they would play like a 
barroom band, but there was something virtuosic about everything that they did. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, you know, they did, but it, I, in some ways it's kind of like, you know, like in, a, in the most general sense, I was trying to do like what Springsteen does, what, what Patterson does. It's write songs about the people you know from the places you're from. Um, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of where I was trying to come from, you know? That makes sense, except I believe that that's true. I think that's what you do do. But even, and I, and I would say, I think that, um, I think up until this album, and maybe Heaven, you guys were, um, this is a little out, but like, there's this literary theory by Harold Bloom called The Anxiety of Influence, which is all about how when you come after a great artistic figure you uh you try to grapple with the influence of that figure and in actually trying to do what they do if you're great you create something new Mm -hmm. and in a way you guys made born to run a lot of times although this new album is darkness on the edge of town or yeah filtered through thin lizzie or number i mean the new album has which i want to get to uh, in in a bit for for me the new album is so dark it's darker than anything you guys have ever yes done it's it's there's um all the hope that's set out, uh, you know, at the beginning uh, uh, in Positive Jam, at which you guys constantly, I think, um, embraced on every album. You would find a way to restate the, po- the that there's possibility. It's it's like you know um, when Bruce and Tom Jode sends you know says the line about we know now that mm-hmm. the highway, you know, it, it's almost like you guys have not given up on the possibility <laughs> but America's in a bad place but let, let me go back to the beginning because we'll get that okay, what were you going to say Craig no 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 I, I'm, I'm with you I think go go with you no go what were you going to say I was going to say the only thing I could say that, and I agree with you the only thing I can say is sort of hopeful about Teeth Dreams is in that naming it Teeth Dreams acknowledges that we all have an anxieties that we that we that we try to wrestle with and you know that we all kind of are in that together sure yeah yeah, I, I get that, but I mean, you're talking about the title of the album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're when you're listening um, to the album, the experience is very different. I, I love the record. I, uh, it's so incredibly powerful. But but your mission, so so I would say that. How would you state what you were like? What you were trying to do with that first album in terms of creating this world of characters and of of hope and possibility for an audience to form a unified scene. One of the, all, a lot of it, you know, I've always been, despite you know, in in addition to the bands you named that are most of my favorite bands, I've always liked hardcore. And hardcore had this, you know, scene thing about unity and seven seconds and youth of today. You know, would put the mic in the crowd and everyone would sing whoa whoa's and um. There's a lot of talk about unity and unifying the scene. And I always thought that was really, you know, in some sort of like weird um, positivity slash vague Christian sense of like, you know, like, 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 let's let's do good for each other. Let's, you know, rock and roll can be a good thing. You know, it can be like it's not all cigarettes and leather jackets. It could be it has the possibility to be something that's life affirming and, and have a community around it. So that was like, you know, kind of the idea behind some of that positive jam and all that. And then uh, I always dream about a unified scene. All those things came from that. But the other thing that was really important in that record and it's reflected in the artwork is like we want like we were trying to kind of create a mythology around it, the people we were hanging out with and the things we did, you know, I mean, stuff would happen and it would end up in a song the next day, you know, like, um, I'm trying to think of like, um, an example from that record, but Stevie Nicks or Stevie, that's a separation. Yeah, but yeah. Stevie Nicks, you know, our friend, uh, walked into, um, a party with a long black shawl and Ted called her Stevie Nicks. And then we had a song called Stevie Nicks. Right. And, that kind of thing, you know, like it was kind of informed by real life and then twisted into songs that were made it more funny or more dramatic. And uh, but so uh, here, here's the question for you, Tad, related to that, which is like, I wonder if, you know, you're somebody you say lyrics never really were the driving thing for you. So I'm, I'm curious, like, w- like when you heard the words to Positive Jam and that mission, like, were you... Um, did you have buy-in for that idea too and oh. how much did you emb- embrace and own it too well i should say i'm you know like i don't want to present myself as i'm not a lyrics guy well obviously I, you're in a band with like yeah the, yeah you know yeah that's Th- it's um there's this isn't by accident um so it's well no that's what it, i was saying what did you recognize in each other for sure which is what's the thing about craig that like really 
Um, well, the, I mean, it's the sort of the... It's partially the, the way he can turn a phrase, uh, and it's also the kind of the way he can... He can... There's something about... And this is... This we could talk about a lot because it's there's different degrees of this, and I don't know if it's because I'm closer to it, but for me it's like I I I know when that happened, you know. You can really put yourself in it, whether it's you know something like you know most people are DJs or positive jam or um and and one thing that Craig had that I always really enjoyed it was something that other artists do is they talk about something and you want to know what that is it's like i want to be down with that i don't know what it is but it sounds fun and it sounds cool and i like this band so i want to know what they're doing right and so from the beginning when craig would talk about wanting to do this whole sort of like messianic kind of thing you you were like yeah I'm I'm down for it or some part of you just understood it do you think uh, it's pretty a little bit of both you know like it's it's not anything that we've you know we don't or at least if it happens it's so subtle that it's hard to know but I feel like it it just sort of happened you know I think he definitely thinks about the words more than I. Especially on the first, you know, like Separation Sunday and Boys and Girls have thought about the music necessarily. Or at least it, I remember it that way. He he f- gave more thought to the words than you did to the music. Yeah. Right. You know, like the music just kind of seemed to happen through, you know, like working on it, sitting down with a guitar. It, it just, it sort of came to be. There's a natural thing in that because the way rock and roll kind of works, like you come up with a part saying that's the verse, and you do it four times. But if you're the writing the verse, you have to come up with four different lines. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's why I always feel like like the guy who writes the words is going to learn the song the best because he has to listen to it so many times. You know what I mean? Like, he has to know the form of it, you know? Like, like I know the verse is only half as long the second time because I only have two lines. Sure, from an arrangement. Yeah, of course. And when, the, when you guys, when, when you started writing those songs and... Did you wreck? Did you know this is a different thing? Could you guys feel it? Like I've always wondered about my favorite bands when it happened. Like you know, Sam, just to go back to, I hated the Sammy Hagar Van Halen, as yeah, I'm sure yeah, you did. Yeah. But Sammy, I read his book too because I have to be a Van yeah. Halen completist. And Sammy talks about the first time they jammed as a band. He yeah. knew that they were going to be the biggest band in the world. Now, which, by the way, of course, Sammy didn't realize they were already were the biggest yeah. band in the world. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, standing on the shoulders. Yeah. yeah, dude. I think it was a pretty safe bet. Yeah. But, but, like, did you have a sense, either of you, both of you, did you know, like, oh, this is different? Yeah, I mean, well, the one thing that is, is was, and especially was different at the time is, you know, we were doing all these guitar solos. Like... Yeah. That's the other thing. Like there was a, there was all these, but other bands weren't doing guitar solo. Like, I mean, other bands certainly not indie bands. You know, um, the other bands that were popular at the time, there was not like a minute long guitar solo ever. I mean, uh, since Jay Mascus really was the last like sort of that I that I could think of. So, I mean, there was this yelling, this talking stuff, and then there'd be this real long guitar solo. And uh, you know, I think most of the songs on. And almost killed me of a guitar solo, and that's you know that was another thing that was gonna. I knew people were gonna freak, get freaked out, um, freak out slash get freaked out by that. Could, did you know that this? Because you said you'd been in a lot of bands. Could you sense? Oh, this is different or not? Yeah, a little bit, uh, you know. And it was different in a way. Um, it was different when you listen to it, but it was different in a way that just our approach to it. I remember making almost killed me. And we did things that were fun, and it was—it just seemed like let's put a guitar solo here that lasts ninety seconds or a minute. And it was one of those things that that we sort of—I feel like we went at it as a way like, what would we want to hear? What would be fun? And because we did it, I, I never—I didn't really consider how it was going to look. Well, it's to amazing else. because on the new album, I was going to say, you know, as dark and brutal as the new album is, um, you know, there are those two guitar solos are in a way the only emotional release they're like they're these two moments of true emotional release it seems like where 
we're allowed to feel all the uh, all the emotion that these characters are feeling. And when that happens, you, as a listener, you know that deep down, you guys actually really understand each other in some way. <laughs> that, yeah, the um, the the guitar. I knew. I remember like that when we made almost killed me. I sort of remember like, well, for, for one, we we drank a lot, and number two. <laughs> We'd have a conference, and Dean, who was recording it, the thing is, that record was made in two different, like, mm-hmm. weekends. It wasn't like, let's go make a record. It was like, let's go record some of our songs. And four then, days? Like, two, three-day sessions, so six days Six days, days yeah. and then how many days of mixing? None. That's including mixing. Yeah. That's sick. Uh, so we were like, you know, let's go in and record some songs, and then let's record some other songs. We had 12 total, we took two away, put 10 on the album, and released it. Um but I remember during the time, and Dean, our friend, was recording it, and we would have a lot of conversations like, oh, this is going to bum everyone out. Yeah. This is going to yeah. bum everyone out. Certain songs, I remember when we got the piano, and we, we were sort of like, this is like, sounds like Kramer versus Kramer, like you're driving to your divorce mm-hmm. in Long Island. And we're like, God, people are just going to be so bummed out. Like, like in, in kind of a good way, but like, you know, like, like it was... And that song, I mean, I, when you play that song in concert now, people lose their minds. I know. Well, I mean, people did it's, like it. It, But it's it was it was sort of like, I don't know, there's something about that, like, that's... Takes, so you like, felt that it was disruptive. You, that thing <laughs> people talk disruptive. about, disruptive, yeah. you, you could tell it was a piece of disruptive <laughs> technology. When, yes. Yeah, when when Peter Hess came in to do the sax solo on Barfruit Blues, <laughs> right. there one of the other guys, Mike DeJohn, he was a great dude and very funny, he was out working in the, kind of in the lounge, putting something up, and we were listening back to the sax solo, and he's like... What do you guys got night court on in there or something? <laughs> you know, it was, it was like, like the rooftop sax solos yeah. and the uh, pianos. Uh, it was coming, you know, it was you know, it was something we were into. Like, you know, it was like I love the first few Springsteen records, and yeah. you know, but kind of embracing. If there is, you know, I don't, I would never call those records corny, but you know, like sort of embracing some of this carnival corniness. Well, that's that's what I was kind of asking you about the mission of it, Tad, which is like. Um, the tradition that Craig was coming from and doing that, I, I, you know, the fact that you say there was like this uh, Christian element to it, which you've you've talked about Catholicism in some way on most of the records and on sort of like hope that there's something yeah. there and maybe yeah. there is and maybe there isn't. Um, and uh, and so that, that ties into, in a way, not Catholicism is not messianic in the same way that Pentecostal is, but there is you know, that, that stuff. Uh, but Tad, for you, were you? Did you think there was really the possibility? Like, I, I guess I believe that, that Craig thought it could all happen the way that you guys laid out. And did you think it could happen in that way? That you would have this following who then would make narratives, would make their own narratives out of these songs, and would would believe they were part of a community based around the band? I, I think anytime you you have to believe that in order to sort of do it in a genuine manner you know at some in some way there has to be you know some kind of idea that that like you know all right this this could be important to somebody or somebody else is going to like this you know somebody else is going to enjoy this somebody else is going to understand this otherwise you wouldn't i don't think you'd ever put it to tape right you know yeah yeah and we didn't you know in a very small way because Minneapolis is so insular and geographically removed, the lifters polar thing had happened on a level at Minneapolis that like people had lost their minds and had theme parties based on the characters and things like that. So I kind of so knew, knew it was, it was possible. possible. I knew it was possible. I just thought we were doing it on a bigger arena. So, right. So you consciously did set out, like, because you know you watch Tad. Have you ever watched? I, I don't even have to ask Craig if he has, but have you watched the two movies on the making of Born to Run and Darkness? Mm-hmm. Yes, and you do feel like when that um, that Bruce knew what he could go at. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew he could try, and that if he tried his hardest, maybe he could bring everyone along. Mm-hmm. And that's what the first two Hold Steady albums. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you know, Almost Killed Me came out, and like it did well. It was cool and. But we were still, you know, like we were playing at like the Mercury Lounge. It wouldn't sell out or anything. And we were still, you know. But then I remember when we went in to make Sep Sunday, we, that it was like December and, uh, the, the Rolling Stone and Spin came out that day. And both of us named, both of them named Almost Killed Me as like the best album you didn't hear this year. 
And I was like, well, let's make the best record someone hears this time. Right. And um, that kind of was like, and that Sep Sunday, I, I sort of felt like we were locked into something. And I knew the Catholic stuff was going to, I mean, the Catholic stuff I knew was going to freak people out. Um just because you say Jesus and everyone reaches for their wallet to make sure it's still there. And you know? titled the song, I mean, you know. Yeah. Resurrection. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah, and it was, you know, I was thinking a lot about it, and uh, but I knew that was going to, like, like... And then that was the one, you know. It came out, and uh, it almost felt like when the Village Voice put us on the cover, that was like, it was off to the races. But, you know, I was a huge music fan, but I didn't really know who you guys were until the, the week Boys and Girls came out. That seemed like the time when everything really... Yeah, yeah. We had a larger reach then because it was, you know, I think it was somebody was, there was just a a bigger engine behind it, it seemed like, you know, and we were, we went over to the UK for the first time and stuff like that. And what was going on with, between the two of you on the separation thing? Yeah. Partying. I mean. So you were both kind of like lost in the thing. And we, and we partied a lot and it was. Yeah, Separation Sunday was a big party. By the end of Separation Sunday, I was uh, getting divorced. Um, and that was like, you know, that was a personal challenge. And, and obviously, there's tons of failure that kind of, no matter what the situation is, that, you know, you, like you feel feel bad. But that, so that kind of like, uh, I remember, it, I felt all in, you know what I mean? Like, like, f*** it. I don't have, a, you know, I don't have a marriage anymore, and I'm just going to be rock. It's just going to, let's just go on tour. Let's just... I mean, I moved out. I moved into a like a, a room, you know. A rent, I rented a room from someone, and uh, it was to have my stuff there and a bed. If I was in New York, you know, and it was it was going for everything went. And to is storage. that when you guys started writing Boys and Girls? Yeah, and that that was the context in which you wrote Boys and Girls. Yep, yep. That was that was where I was living when we wrote Boys and Girls. And and I had just had a kid. Yeah. So <laughs> it was kind of like, well, this better work. <laughs> Right, and so you knew going in to make that album, we're trying to make a big kind of statement. Yeah, we also, I mean, we went with a, a, we went outside of our friend group. You know, we went to John and Yellow to make it. And yes. That was like I thought a little bit more. You know, I think he had some more organization about the whole thing. I remember well, that he, album holds together. I mean, that is a yeah. that, that's a truly not unified scene, but that is a unified album, right? He, you know, I mean, so is Sep Sunday. I think even but, like he, you know, I I I always think of the. John coming into Boys and Girls and saying like these are the days we're going to work this month and these are the days you're going to have off and I was like wow this is like you know normally we're talking about it the night before what time should we start tomorrow you know but there was a level of professionalism I think he brought that Mm -hmm. that really helped had you guys played a lot of the songs on the road yeah yeah because we were playing Stuck and we were playing Chips in Australia yeah um yeah we played a lot of the songs on the road Mm -hmm. how did you how did you guys write on the road you would just write. You would write. Would you write in your hotel room and then play them? Sometimes that I didn't. I didn't start like kind of bringing a acoustic guitar or something like that along until state until uh, boys and girls, um, and that's when the writing on the road started a lot. Um, there was a when we when I was like working on ideas for Separation Sunday. There were just a lot of ideas that that kind of came out then that I sort of went back and revisited for boys and girls there were a couple of things that like I had a loose idea but didn't really know and it was easy to jump off and having Franz sort of like full time in the band you know this was the keyboard player in the whole stack yeah, until so having two ago. having him I think really helped he lived right around the corner from Craig and I Craig and I lived like kind of right behind each other same block um for a while and then having him in the neighborhood i would just go down to his house and i would show him stuff and him with franz being a you know a piano player and kind of the the background he has with music he'd be like oh this is this and and then you should put that there and this is helping arrange yeah Yeah. and bridges and and (laughs) he was really good with the bridges like he you know like the piano is is kind of that good instrument for that so some you know you can get lots of places to go yeah yeah keys so how would you present like how would those guys present music to you i feel like we at that point we'd go into our space which was in greenpoint and just kind of it'd be like well we got this thing we're working on and then i would always either 
fumble around with words just talking into a microphone or or I have notebooks that I write things in and I'd kind of pull things from so that. So sometimes you would have the no, the words written, uh, some words written and you would fit them into a, There's the some music. words, but they're like the meter's always wrong, so you're always kind of playing, you know, but but you might have some ideas or some words that you like or Yeah, I think it was around the time that Boys and Girls came out. Um I mean, Tad, you and I met right after Boys and Girls came out before Stay Positive. Um, because when we met, you hadn't started recording Stay Positive. You had had those live demos of uh, Lord and Adderall, but you hadn't started making that album yet. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. God, and, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And uh, But I, I remember then, and I, I, I've wanted to ask you this. You know, you, Craig, became um, sort of, I mean, deified is too big a word, but, but you kind of got called and uh, a songwriting genius by a lot of people and i agree with it. i think it's a fair thing to say um but, you know it, it, the fact that tad writes the music most mm -hmm. of the time did did you ever feel like do you have any um do you ever have sympathy for the position he finds himself in which is people always call you the songwriter of the band yeah yeah and i try to say like you know i write the lyrics that's not the song you know um because especially as the band's gone on i've written no music you know, I think I wrote. You wrote one a song on. on uh, you wrote almost on, killed me. And you didn't. You wrote yeah. And you wrote no. You, you wrote, wrote one magazine. song oh, on magazines. Uh, magazines. Magazines. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, you know, I've, I've written a few songs, um, but less and less. Uh, I don't think I wrote anything on on uh, almost killed me or on uh, or no. I'm sorry on Sep Sunday, but. You know, uh, no, I, did, I can understand the plight, you know, but it's like, honestly, my advice to any young rock and roller is if you want the attention, make sure to be the singer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I know for a while the idea of it was hard, you know, that that I, I've heard you talk about how great you think Craig deserves all the acclaim that he gets, but was it hard for you to deal with that? Hey, I wrote half these songs. I, I write well, half of all these songs. I think the only, in, when it, if it's been a hardship at all, you know, the only way that I think it's tough is trying to, if there's other creative, you know, things that you'd like to do or, or creating those other opportunities when you're not the, the, the lead singer or the front man or the, the kind of face of the band, you know, it's, it's, it's just a little... You just have to do a little more work. Yeah, it's weird, because somehow Paige and Plant, like, I guess because Jimmy was older and put together the band, he got sort of, like, acknowledged... I mean, people understood. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, obviously, the the Who is, is different. Yeah, because Pete wrote a lot of the words and stuff. And um, But I just think, in a, in a way... I think that, you know, the thing that happened... So you guys make Boys and Girls, and then you go and make what what certainly I think of as, like you know, the ultimate album of the first part of the Hold Steady's mm -hmm. career, which is Stay Positive. Um, did that album change your lives, or did Boys and Girls really change I think Boys more? and Girls changed it a lot more. Stay mm -hmm. Positive almost felt like a companion piece in some way. Mm -hmm. um, same producer, recorded roughly the same way, um, same group of guys, and, you know, it was, it was only a year later, mm -hmm. um, I think. So it felt, it, I don't know. It, 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 it felt, felt like, like one long ride. Yeah. You felt like that was one long yeah. ride. Yeah, And we never stopped touring, and, you know, it kind of like, they just kind of connected. It just bled into the next chapter. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I have a hard time differentiating those. Not, you know, uh, I, I, I like them both a lot, but I sort of, they all run together for me, those two. I confuse which songs are on which record. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. For, for, I guess for me, Stay Positive just whole you know every to me every single song on stay positive um sort of like uh, just the way the record is built and sequenced and the way the stories flow and i think the melodies are just uh really so strong and i felt like you guys are just more comfortable even as a band than you were on boys and girls you probably i mean you you get to go on tour for 200 days you get better you know mm -hmm. what i mean like you just get better at your instrument you get better at singing um, you may there may be other things that bring you down, but uh, I think like just the practice of playing shows, and, and then and then the fact that in the shadow of that, and you guys being at the biggest that you certainly like could sell the big most tickets ever in your career and yeah. all that stuff. When when Tad got a little lost for a little while, <laughs> um, you know, because I lived through it too in a way because we were trying to work on something together that didn't quite come together. Um, I wonder, like, the fact that you guys do need each other, 
Like, I wonder if there's a... Maybe, I don't even know if you think you need each other. Right, no, no, you did, definitely. And, you know, you're like, your whole life, you're playing guitar in your bedroom, and you're thinking, like, I wanted to be in a rock band, I am now in a rock band, and we're actually doing really well, but, uh uh-oh, is this how it, you know, is this how it goes, you know? And uh, so it is scary. You do need, you need all, you know, you need the whole band. Um, You need everyone. Uh... And yeah, that so it was scary because like you know it's all you wanted in life, and now it could be taken away from you. Yeah, and did you understand that? Um, n- a little bit while it was happening, um, and then I think I recognized it more when I was in the hospital, and then you know the period after that was just kind of like. There's like there was a you know like some guilt some shame and stuff like that I let the guys down all this kind of stuff and you just want to hide you're like I just want out of here I don't really know how to deal with this we yeah we and when Tad went to the hospital I like got everyone together we went out to dinner and it was like quiet you know what I mean like it was like four guys being quiet at a table together because everyone's just kind of like. It was uncharted, you know. I mean, we didn't. Un- uh, is that the right word? Uncharted. Yeah, uncharted territory. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like it was un- uncharted calm territory, which was. Well, yeah, but it was. You know, it was a, literally on the eve we were supposed to be going to Europe in the morning. Mm-hmm. And and it was your song. I mean, it was your songwriting partner too. Yeah, not just a guy in the band. Absolutely. And you know that, and it's happened with my wife too, that. <laughs> When stuff starts to go wrong, you wonder if all these terrible things you've done to people in your songs are coming back to haunt you a little bit, you know? It's like, you know, well, why am I, I'm writing about all these things, you know? And then all of a sudden it, it invades your I'm life. conjuring it somehow? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that's not exactly how it happens, but I guess it's like, is my fascination with this thing leading to problems in my life? I mean, I just wonder, uh, from your perspective, Tad, like, how... I don't know how aware you were of uh, sort of Craig's awareness of your import to him, or if you were just sort of like, well, I'm going to show everybody that I kind of matter. No, there, it, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't <clears throat> the latter. You know, that's things were so kind of crazy around that time that it's hard to, you know like look back on that with any real like if if I was saying I was honestly remembering that I wouldn't be totally telling the truth <clears throat> excuse me for a lot of different reasons um but you know I never considered that before that maybe it was like the resentment had had grown somehow and I was like all right I'm going to dip out you know like Check me out. Because I think, you know, we were, like, I was having conversations with our manager at the time, like, I don't think we're ready to record for having us whenever. Right. You know, and I was like, and I went over to Taz and I said, I don't, I think we need to push this back. We need to get head straight. Yeah. And I was like, like no, we're cool. Everything's going to be fine. Right. And then, but I remember then when you wrote Soft in the Center, um, I don't even know if you'll remember this, Tad, but you sent me a couple of songs and you said, uh, this one's about me. That was written um, when Tad went, first went to the hospital. I wrote a song every day. I was in the hospital just as an exercise, oh, and it had this great that song in a long time. had this great great um, verse that I cut out because it was just riffing, and it was um, it it said soft in the center. It made a Johnny Damon reference um, for being soft in the center. You know. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, but that's not that's yeah that's uh, center field. But that's yeah. different. No, I know, but but but, uh, but there are these two lines in it. Um, and so I remember when you told me the song, you go, I think this song's about me. You go, Craig would never say it, but I think the song's about me and about the situation. You were kind of owning like, oh, I think I realize what's going on here. And I know there are these two lines in the song, which is, you know, um, you can't tell people what they want to hear if you also want to tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. And then um, you could probably be anything if you could just go and get yourself right. Sure. And 
I mean, did you? Is that song partially? Yeah, I mean, it's part of the situation. It's like you know, we we're in the he's in the hospital, but it was the first time. I mean, it was like that first when we canceled the European tour. So it was long before the the record. Because meaning, what I mean to say is, it got weirder from there. You mean that was that the was beginning very, of how that, that was stuff very was. early. Yeah, that was very early. <clears throat> that was the start of it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah awesome. that was very early. It was very. It got a lot weirder from that. Yeah. And. And like, I mean, I do remember that there was a certain right because I guess I just remember that there was a certain almost, yeah, the almost pridefulness about the fact. That's why I asked the question about that you're being messed up mattered enough that he <laughs> wrote the song. I guess I didn't think of it that way. I thought I thought of it more as, um, I know Craig better than he thinks I know him. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, there's not a one to one relationship with any yeah. of the songs and. You know, knowing Craig as long as I have and, and knowing as much about him, there are, you know, there's always songs when I can see... Where things come from. Yeah, and certain people, and it's like... And sometimes I kind of like it because I, f- I feel like, you know, it's my own little secret. That's you know? Which is great. Well, yeah. I, well I've, I've spoiled it, but which, yes, we, that you have. And, you, well, that, that ties into something, which is um, uh, Hold Steady fanatics um, obsess about the chronology and the characters that they view as being part of this long uh-huh. kind of novelistic endeavor that you're on, Craig. And uh, a, a couple things. One, are they often right? They are often right. And But, you know, there's whole songs that I, I take a break from it. You know what I mean? Like like Soft in the Center. That has nothing to do with Charlemagne or Holly, right? right. You know? Or Stay Positive really doesn't... Well, there's stuff in there about it. But, you know, you can kind of flip in and out of the world. Well, yeah, and they'll pull... They'll they'll decide who's in Hood Rat and then who the narrator of Hood Rat is. And I got a lot more interested in taking the names out of the songs for that reason. I like it better without the names. I mean, I like when you... Re- I like when I catch a reference. Yeah, but you can people can put their own hopes and dreams in the songs if you aren't... You know, if you're... You know, it's kind of like, like when you would buy a comedy record when you're a kid and then you listen to it and you know all the jokes so you don't listen to it again um if you're like you know Charlemagne went to the store Charlemagne <laughs> did this Charlemagne drove home you're like well that's just this guy you know what but if it's like you went to the store you he came home you you know all of a sudden it's like oh i don't know who those people are well yeah i mean i it is it, it is true when my i've um i guess my daughter was eight when stay positive came out and you know we just listened to the hell out of that album um, and our son's four years older than her so we listened to the hell out of it and um, the other day we were in the car and we were like what do you want to listen to and she said play Sabrina and I said what's Sabrina and she goes you know the whole study song Sabrina in Texas <laughs> <laughs> so yeah people do cool. make their I mean people will tell their own stories too. yeah yeah and that's important also uh, but how hip are you to like the whole Unified, like the character novel story. Like, are you aware of the the long story that the fans? uh, Some of it, just from you know, from talking to them or from them asking me about it. I'm like, I, I would love to. I don't. This is something I'm going through with you, you know. So. But yeah, do you even know? Like, do you know? Can you identify that song's about that character? Or like, when a song comes on the fifth album, do you know that's repeat? That's touching something in the second or because you're in it Some, you don't well sometimes i mean in a certain way um you know i i guess but i do have a different relationship with with the lyrics but it's not so different you know what i mean it's still there's still some of that like i love there are so many times when you know craig will finish it uh take and go into the control room and we'll be sitting there and listening and i'll be like Oh Jesus! Did he just say that? You know, like oh, you know, there have been several times where it's just it's I get to enjoy it like everybody else does. And is it important to you that fans follow it, Craig? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's very flattering to have people paying that much attention to your work, you know. And uh, uh, I don't think people need to know everything about. Like, I, I hope someone can hear "Sequestered in Memphis" on the radio and be like, "I love that song," and not really be aware of, you know, like. Uh, the, other other references to Memphis and Tennessee and Texas in the music and uh, you know um, but then you're happy if someone catches on the new album 
the, that you mentioned Texas and Tennessee in a song. And exactly. you say some nights and you want people to correct, connect. Exactly. Exactly. You know, or even like when you're playing the new song, you know, and you just say, you know, you know first she went to Texas, then she went back to Tennessee yeah. and have the fans like, yeah. oh, oh, you my like God. the moment where they're of yeah. recognition. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Where I mean, I remember because I, I, I wrote about um, Sequestered on Grantland. Mm hmm. Because I, they said one of the best songs of the 2000s, and it was important to me to say that I thought yeah. that was the best one, best record. And then I got also, and I just had one sort of like half-assed line about part of what the song meant, and I got all these things that like that is not what that song. Meant. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, that's what it means to me. Like People, I, yeah. that's what that song means to me. Uh, and and um, and I was that to me like I want to have ownership over the songs that my favorite band sings, just like the other fans do. But but it seems now like a, a Catholic has to grapple with sort of like the you know Vatican three whole yeah, steady style. Right, right, yeah. Well, that's because that's how I don't want. Like I've realized, like talking about it and talking about it is best. Just like to have people have their own version and their own you know their own thing. All right, just a couple more things um, because I see the time is running. Um, we talked about the sense of mission that was communicated on the first album. Do you think that the two of you have the same mission for the band now? Yeah, I do. I, I would, I, yes, there, I definitely. There is less partying. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, things want to be musically better. And, you know, you want, you want everything to grow one way or the other, you know? And it's like, if it can't be doubling your audience, it could be going somewhere new to play, you know? Yes. It could be like going to South America or... Um, and, you know, because you keep having... The, otherwise, if you just keep going in the same clubs in a circle, things get old, you know? Um, but I think that... I do think there's just this this still... I mean, to me, like, I like making the records. I love playing the shows. And you? Um, well, yes, I think we both have... And like, you know, Craig said, if it's not going to... If the numbers aren't going to grow going to new places geographically and, like, just, you know, creatively doing something that we haven't done before, even if it's just how we approach something. Um, I've... I love playing live and I love making the records and I... It's hard to compare, like, which I like better because they're just different things for me. And I think I've... I really enjoy. I love performing. There's nothing better than getting up in front of people and yeah. and like having people go crazy and no, you're and doing. When it. you guys do it live, it's so obvious how how much you both and the, the community around it all. I mean, I think that you know, we, I always say we can stay home so many ways now. There's Twitter, there's Skype, there's sure. Facebook, but to put people in a room and with a sort of shared purpose is really powerful. And even like the environment of going to a rock show, like, you know, it's the one place like where you, you know, if I went alone, I could turn to some guy and be like, oh, cool, you have a deer tick shirt on, you know? Yes. Oh, do you like them? Did you see them last time they played? And, you know, it's cool to have that place to belong a little bit. And I think that that's really powerful. And, and, uh, so just talk about the new album before we wrap this up. Um, the, and why do you think that like both musically, Especially since I know you know you were out touring your solo album, Tad was working on the music. Um, you know why do you think there's and and it is a powerful, uh, you know, really as I said, dark, bruising record. I mean, and and Craig, it, it feels to me like yeah, you you read the lyrics for uh, "I'm at the Business," which to me is one of the the all time best. Hold Steady songs. Mm -hmm. I think it is uh, really um, just up there with anything you guys have ever done. And yeah, you're writing about you know whatever kind of illicit deal that goes on in a parking lot. But it it feels to me, and I, tell me if I'm but it feels to me like you're writing about a lot more than that too on that song. I think in a lot of that song is about consumerism. That's what it. Yes, um, it's just doing whatever you can to get ahead to get more stuff, and. Um, David Foster Wallace in the Lipsky book um, says we have this particular American sadness that yes. that we, when we realize that we have this void inside us that cannot be filled with, you know, TVs and stereos and shoes and, and sweaters, that, that it's still, no matter what we purchase, cannot cannot be filled right you know it's just there's something missing inside of us you know that, that so that's not the way to approach it but that's what i thought on, on what the business is about yeah to me uh, as a centerpiece um of an album that is uh about alienation yeah. in a way also 
for the first. I mean, and you've had songs that touch on it, but this is the first time that it feels like the scene is splintering. It's you know, and some of it is because writing to the music. Like I felt like because there was two lead guitars when a lot of these songs came, you know, were presented to me. Um, you know, these guys were like recorded in Memphis and they sent it to me. And I, at first, I was having a hard time kind of getting in. And that my, when I was having a real hard time, parts of it were like, I feel like I should be doing something sort of cock rocky here, you know, it's Steven Tyler, because it was. And then I started to hear it differently. And I said, this is very claustrophobic. Yes. Like, yeah. I'm not finding my space because it's maybe like a little denser. And let's run with that. Yeah, I mean the 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 album um you know ends with oaks and you do give the possibility I mean all you'll give them is uh the hope oh they're just trying to have a hope. <laughs> right? I mean the last that little thing that repeats which is all about just trying to hope. Yeah. We I mean and that wasn't there at first. Yeah, we that was the the song ended there, you know, on the demo, and then Craig's like, "Can we, can we put something?" And it's funny because we, I'm so glad you did, man. We, we always, it's like we're always tagging something on the end of the song. It seems yeah. like, and it's we, our bad habit. Yeah, we, you know, when Nick came in, producer, he took a lot of the stuff off there, and he's like, "Can we, you know, let's change the scenery?" And you know, my first thought was like, "But we, I, we always do that." Like, and then when we start, when we actually did it, it turned it. I got it. And I kind of figured that that would be the last song on the record anyways. And then when we added that, you know, it, it comes out to eight and a half minutes or whatever it is. It's hard to... <laughs> yeah, you, you know what's going on on the last. Yeah. But that, it becomes... A, it's a great way to end the record. And without that that kind of... The scene change. Yeah. Like, it's not the same song. Yeah, it would be a little too bleak, I think. I mean, it would be like, it would like wrap up a bleak scene bleakly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad, I mean, really, as a fan, I was so glad that at least there's some sort of, I mean, the album rocks so hard, and not in a cock rock way, I mean, in the, I think to me, the best of the tradition of from the Clash to the replacements yeah. to with like thin, a lot of Thin Lizzy. Just two more questions, one for you, which is, are you happier now, Ted? Like, are you? Do you feel ready to do this and renewed? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I. But as far as happier, under construction, you know, like that's. I mean, that's kind of always a, a work in progress. I think it's probably it probably is for everybody. You know, I, you should be a little happier because you guys didn't make just this just insanely killer. I'm ecstatic about the record. And and Craig, do you? Um, so as somebody who's, although I'm not writing down chronologies on index cards and posting them on mm -hmm. my wall to post on Unified yeah. Scene, because that seems very time-consuming, <laughs> I do listen really closely to the, to, the, to the words and care about them. Um, and, you know, you hear, you know, once Bruce made Darkness, yeah, there was, and then Nebraska, born in the USA, you know, the, the hope... Um, it was very long time before hope reappeared. Yeah, and it and only in fleeting moments does it. And and uh, I wonder, do you do you really think we're so f right now as a, a culture? No. Do you have hope? I do have hope. I have a lot of. hope. I mean, I, I as a person, I have hope. I think I'm personally an optimistic person, but uh, but somehow that the music and the everything on this one just seemed like it sort of seemed like we were ready for a dark record, you know, in some in the very uh, simple way of putting it, you know, like like well, what what haven't we done? I mean, I was ready for it. I've listened to it probably twenty five times already. Um, you guys are absolutely unquestionably my favorite band in the world, Thank you. and uh, Thank you. I'm so pleased that you came in and and did this and. Uh, I'm so glad that you guys uh, are so good together cool. now, and Craig doesn't have to write any more sad songs. <laughs> it's been fun. I kind of like when he does that, man. It's 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 good, you know. It's, it shows it's a you know kind of the whole human experience. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. Well, the there's full picture. There's nowhere to go from the whole human experience. We're done. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs. Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.